This morning I would ask you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Luke as we're continuing in a sermon series called The Message of the Manger. And this morning we look at Luke chapter 1, we're in verses 39 through 55 in a message that I have titled, The Gifts That Jesus Brings. Last week we were there when the angel Gabriel had made an announcement to a virgin named Mary. And we learned that she is favored and that her son, the fruit of her womb, would be called the Son of the Most High. And, and, he would, and, and he would rule, God would give him rule over the throne of his father David. And we were there when, when Mary asked the angel, how is this going to happen? And Gabriel told her that it's going to happen because God is in charge. That it's going to happen because God is in control and that she is chosen and she is favored. Mary was told that nothing is impossible with God. And, and Mary, the, this, this teenage girl, says, I am a servant of the Lord, let it be as he says. Whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. And it's such an important point that Mary made is that she said yes. That's what she said. She asked a couple of questions, but she didn't hesitate. She said, yes, whatever the Lord wants, I am here to serve. When we look at the Christmas story, it might be common, a common question to say, okay, so after an angel came and spoke to Mary, said, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to deliver the Son of God, you think, okay, so the angel leaves. What does Mary do next? You know, what, what happens? What do, we, what do we do? Something like that happened. What would Mary do? And the Bible tells us exactly what she did. She ran. She, she took off. But she took off to a specific place for a specific reason. See, we're going to see right away that, that she ran to the one person who Gabriel had already had just spoken about a few minutes earlier. Gabriel had said... But somebody else knows about this. So I want you to come back with me. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse number 36. The angel had said, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age because people used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. So the, the, the Bible gives us some information about Elizabeth, who Gabriel had mentioned to Mary, your relative Elizabeth, is also pregnant. We know that Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, who at this moment, or, or recently, previously, had been at work in the temple. He had been away from his home. We know that there's a relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. They're related. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how close they're related. Tradition says that, that Elizabeth is an aunt. But we don't, we don't exactly know, but we know that they're close. That they're both descendants of Aaron and descendants of David. Elizabeth has already been told that she's pregnant in her old age, which is a miracle in its own. And for Elizabeth to become pregnant after being barren for so many years and not being able to have children, we see that Elizabeth, she notices this as a miracle and she rejoices. See, back in those times, for a woman not to be able to have children would, 
would bring a ridicule on her. There'd be an embarrassment to her that she wasn't be able to bear uh, children. Elizabeth says this in Luke 1, 25. She says, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So Elizabeth is excited and, 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 and worshiping the fact that she is pregnant only by a miracle. Now, the child in her womb has a father. So Mary runs to the home, from her home in Nazareth, where Mary lives, to the hill country where Zechariah and, and Elizabeth live. It's about 60 to 80 miles away. She's going to take off to go see Elizabeth. Would have been quite a bit of travel for a young woman to take on her own, but probably not uncommon in that day and age. And after this long walk from Nazareth into the hill country to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home, Mary makes it to the door of the home, and I want you to see what happens next when she gets there. When she gets to the home, we see the Lord just start working amazingly in this moment. Come back with me. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're starting a reading this morning in verse number 39. Luke writes this, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop right there for just a moment. There's so many amazing details in this scripture that we see so far. Elizabeth is, by the Bible's definition, I didn't write this, Luke wrote this, she is old. That's what Luke says. It's estimated that she's in her 70s or 80s. She's past childbearing years. Mary, on the other hand, is about 13 to 15 years old. These women are acquainted with each other through family. It, it may have been that that. Elizabeth and, and Mary's family had maybe been at the same weddings together of family and friends. Elizabeth may have even come to visit when Mary was born a few years ago. At this point, Elizabeth may have looked at Mary as a relative, but for Mary's life is honestly has kind of looked upon her as one of the girls that sits at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Like, she's a, she's a young lady in the home, but she's one of the, the children of the family. But not anymore. Mary is now carrying the Son of God. At 13 to 15 years old, Mary has, has graduated into womanhood and, and is being seen not as a child now, but being seen as a woman by Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, this older woman, just rejoices when Mary comes in the door. We're going to see here this morning what happens when Jesus is near. Because it's not necessarily Mary that came near, that created a child in Elizabeth's womb to jump. No, it's the fact that the Lord was nearby. It's the fact that Jesus just walked into the room. And we're going to see these gifts that come into our lives when Jesus is close. See, in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, every moment in her life, from that moment that Gabriel came, 
From that moment that, that Gabriel said, you are going to deliver the Son of God, every moment was changed, radically changed in her life from the moment she knew about Jesus. Think that doesn't happen in our lives? From the moment you know Jesus, from the moment that He comes into your life, your life is radically changed. It's radically changed forever because Christ enters our heart. Can you imagine that Christ entered Mary's body as, as and coming into her womb. Her life was radically changed for the rest of her life. She was never the same. Christians, as you come to Christ, and unbelievers, if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, your life changes dramatically when Christ enters your heart. That's just the way it happens. There is, there, there's no way for no response to happen. We're also going to see today what Mary's reaction is to the presence of Jesus in her life. We're going to see joy. We're going to see worship. We're going to see strength. How do we, though, react when we have an encounter with the Creator of heaven and earth? How do we react when, when we come face to face with the lover of our soul? The one who, who gave his life for us. How are we to react? Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Come with me. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're starting in verse number 42. Luke writes this. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women. Your child is blessed why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Did you hear that? Mary is blessed because she believed. Because she has faith, right? Because Mary has faith in what the, what the Lord has said. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time on the right-hand side, left-hand side, rather, of your bulletin, you're going to find some fill-in-the-blanks. And I'm going to give you the answer to those, and they'll be up here on the screen. Point number one in your notes this morning. When Jesus enters your world, he brings blessings and joy. When Jesus enters your world, he brings blessings and joy. I want you to see what happens when Jesus walks into the room. Mary comes into the room, but Jesus, in her womb, also comes into the room. When the Lord and Savior walks into any room, He brings joy. It doesn't really matter what room it is. It could be the room at Elizabeth's house when Mary walks in, carrying the Lord in her room, and it brings joy not only to the woman, but to the other child in Elizabeth's womb, jumped for joy when Jesus was near. When Jesus is alive in the church, he brings joy. When Jesus walks into any room and becomes deeply involved in what is going on in that room, he brings joy. When Jesus becomes deeply involved in your marriage, he brings joy. Did you see that Elizabeth, you see what she did? She gave a loud cry. She shouted for joy loudly and the child in her womb jumped. Why? Because Jesus was near. 
You can take any room in the world and you can put Jesus in that room and you're going to bring joy into that room. It could be a break room at work. It could be the gathering area at a Starbucks. It could be a bedroom. It could be a day room, a back room. It could be a ballroom. It could be a storeroom, a bathroom, a playroom, a, a work room. It could be a boardroom or a classroom or a guest room. It could be a stock room or a small room with more elbow room. Wherever Jesus is, he brings joy to that room. Amen? I wonder if there are any rooms in your life that we struggle with. Maybe there are certain rooms in our world that aren't very joyous right now. Maybe they're not very enjoyable right now. Maybe there's rooms in our lives that don't feel blessed. Areas of our life that we work so hard to keep private. We're embarrassed for anyone to see these rooms. We don't want anyone in this area of our heart because this room is sore. This room is, is, is full of pride and envy and, and it's full of junk. That's where we put all of our, all of our soul trash. That's where we put our, our worldly treasures of contempt and self-reliance and addictions. And these rooms are dark and they're lonely. And sometimes they can be scary and damp. I wonder if you know any heart rooms like this right now. Rooms like maybe our, like maybe our marriage. Rooms like maybe our finance room. Maybe our attitude and pride room. Maybe it's our my way room. Maybe it's rooms in our heart where we want to manage who we love and manage who we don't. I wonder if there's any rooms in our lives that are dark and damp and destructive in our soul because there's no joy in these areas of our life. See, if there's no joy in a room in your world, I bet that it would be easy to notice that there is no Jesus in that room in your world. What room is it in your heart that we've pushed a dresser up in front of the door and we say, God, I'm going to let you into any, every other room in my world except for this one. I don't want you to come in here. See, there's something about letting somebody in that shows trust. There's something about opening a door that says, I trust you. I don't know if you can relate to this, but when Kelly and I were dating, there was a time that there was a time that I had an extra key to my apartment. Now she didn't live with me, but there was a time when I gave her this key. And I said, even if I'm not home, you can come into my apartment if you need to get something. You know what that key says? That key says, I trust you. I wonder if there's any areas or any rooms in our life where we haven't yet given Jesus a key where we have been holding on to it and we say, I don't want you to come in here when I'm not home. As a matter of fact, when I am home, I only want you to stay in this area. I wonder what rooms in your life, in our lives, that we have not yet given Jesus a key. And we think about it, these are rooms that He created. Everything in this room, in our life, He has a plan for. Everything here, 
is made for us. It's a gift to us, yet, yet we, we do. We, we try and keep them out of this area. If there's a room in your life that Jesus doesn't have a key to the door, we're robbing ourselves of the gifts that Jesus brings into our life. He has management of that room. We're not letting him manage it. Mary, after she greets Elizabeth, she begins then this beautiful song of worship to God the Father. After our Lord and Savior has come into this room, and there's four people rejoicing right now. Mary and Elizabeth, baby Jesus in Mary's womb, and a boy who's going to be John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, are all worshiping Jesus right now. Come back with me to Luke chapter 1. We're in verse number 46. Mary's going to launch into this song of praise, the song of worship. She says in verse 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. It's a great start to her song. Mary is expressing through this song just how deep her love for God is. See, we see from Mary's song in this praise to God that she brings, we see a couple of key points that we could take home with us that are really important in the Christmas story, important to remember. The first is point number two in your notes this morning. A soul that is dedicated to Jesus is a soul that is full of worship. A soul dedicated to Jesus is a soul that is full of worship. See, the mother of Jesus expressed to God that she recognized that she had been blessed. She noticed that. She believed what the Lord said that he would do. And she brought this perfect illustration and attitude of worship. True worship to God puts our focus on the Lord. In order to properly worship Jesus, it is so important that we recognize who we are, and even more than that, recognize who we're not. We are not the ones to be worshipped, amen? It's not for us to be worshipped. We need to recognize who we are and who we're not. We are the one who worships. We worship God because He provided for us. We worship because we can't save ourselves. There's nothing about ourselves. Nothing that is anywhere close to be elevated to the position of worship. That goes a step beyond our, us being prideful and worshiping ourselves, but that goes beyond attracting attention to ourselves from others. See, when we're attracting attention to ourselves from others, we're attracting the attention of others from God. What we're doing is we are misplacing somebody else's worship. That doesn't belong to us. That belongs to God. 
As part of Mary's song of praise that she points to God and to what he has done, she recognizes that for all intents and purposes, she is, she's really a nobody. She is lowly. She refers to herself as a servant in verse number 48. The, the, the word servant here could literally be translated in the original language. It would be translated meaning a slave. In American history, we have this negative look at, at slavery, and understandably so, but that word and that depth is exactly what Mary is saying here. She is saying, I do not own myself. She's saying, God owns me. And I follow what God wants. And not because, not because I have to, it's absolutely because I want to and because I've dedicated my life to Him. I don't make my own decisions. I follow where God leads. Many times, many of your translations might refer to her as a, as a hand servant, but she is recognizing that she is to comply with the will of God. Because if we're not complying with the will of God, we're complying with our will, with somebody else's will, somebody's will who is not God. It is our responsibility and our obligation to, to humbly recognize and comply with the will of God. See, she wasn't chosen because of who she was. Mary was chosen, rather, because of who she wasn't. She was somebody who loved the Lord, who loved God, but she wasn't royalty, and neither are you and I. She wasn't rich, and neither are you and I. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't pure. She wasn't sinless, and neither are you and I, but she was chosen, and so are you and I. We are absolutely chosen. Mary had a job to do, and we talked about this last week. She had a job to do, and that was to deliver our Lord and Savior into the world. Our job is to deliver the message of our Lord and Savior to the world. And we are chosen to do that job. And you didn't earn, you did nothing to earn that responsibility of being chosen. God chose you. He has chosen all of us. He doesn't owe us anything, but yet we still worship Him because we know that all gifts come from Him. See, there's one quality that comes with a heart of deep worship. And that's a heart of humility. Mary was humble. Oh, she was so deeply humble. As a matter of fact, true worshipers of Christ can only be humble. We can't be haughty or, or, or worship anything else or anyone else. Because that does redirect our worship, right? Pride redirects worship from God. There's some of us who are very good at starting our sentences with the word I. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians, non-believers, we cannot worship by starting with the word I. We can only worship by stating that our love and appreciation is for Jesus who is brought to us by Mary, who it is our job to tell others about. Our devotion starts with Jesus. It starts in one spot. 
Mary, in this, in this song of praise, she hearkens back numerous times to the Old Testament. I want you to see the depth of the connection that Mary is going to relay in her words. Mary takes us all the way back to the prayer of Hannah. Back in the book of 1 Samuel, where in chapter 1, verse number 11, Hannah writes this. She says, says she made a vow and said this, The Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and forget and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah, generations before Mary, had also recognized herself as a maidservant, had recognized herself as not being the one in charge, had recognized that she is a follower, that it is her job to follow where God leads. Mary, in her song of praise to God, continues her connections to the Old Testament. There's so many connections throughout this song. I want you to come back with me into Luke chapter 1. We're in 50. Verse number 50, Mary says this. She continues in her song of praise. She says, God, He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. This is Mary. She is humble. She is being exalted. The Scripture leads us to a very important point about Mary. It's that Mary knows her Scripture. Remember that Scripture in their time would have been our Old Testament. Remember how old Mary is? 13 to 15, right? The depth of her connection through this Scripture, through her song of praise to the Old Testament, shows she knows her Scripture. That leads us to point number three in your notes this morning. A mark of a true Christian is a heart that is continually fed by the Word of God. A mark of a true Christian is a heart that is continually fed by the Word of God. The Gospel writers in the New Testament don't give us a very in-depth biography of Mary. We know a few things about Mary, but they do remind us we can see the internal evidence of the, of the understanding that she had of the Scriptures on how deep her knowledge was. And in simply the 11 verses of Mary's song that we see here, she makes references to the book of Psalms, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Job, Exodus, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Judges, just to name a few. All over the Old Testament, Mary is pulling parts into her song of praise to God. I want you to see the comparison in Psalm 103, verse 17. This is, the, this is the scripture in Psalm that Mary pulls from. It says, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Did you hear Mary say a minute ago, generation to generation? On those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. See, the mother of our Lord dedicated herself to the knowledge of God the Father. For somebody that is 13 years old to sing a song of praise 
that is covered with Old Testament testimony, or in our world, Bible testimony, I think we would say that's a feat for a 13-year-old girl in our world. It shows her dedication to come closer to God through continual reading and continual study of His Word. And it's not like Mary's biblical intake was quite as easy as ours. As a matter of fact, the literacy rate of their time wouldn't have been high. So it's not as if in her house there's numerous Bibles or copies of scrolls that she could just go through at any time. A lot of listening. A, a lot of, a, a lot of, she'd have to spend a lot of time purposefully seeking out the Word of God. She didn't rely on daily alerts to come through her, her cell phone. She didn't rely on Facebook posts that have scriptures. She didn't sit back waiting for somebody to put a post in front of her. No, she actively went out seeking knowledge from God's Word. Actively looking to be fed. You and I not only have access to God's Word at our fingertips, but as children of God, we have an obligation to be continually fed by the Word of God. That is our job. How much spiritual food are we putting into our hearts every day? I wonder if we're feeding ourselves enough to keep ourselves spiritually healthy. I know through our day, chances are we have three meals a day to keep ourselves physically healthy. There's a good chance that out of those three meals, one or a couple of them are full of junk food, right? Probably a little bit outside of the food pyramid, right? On that beautiful plate that the nutritionists have for us. But we do feed ourselves physically three times a day for our physical health, but sometimes we feed ourselves once a week for our spiritual health. It's so important to continually feed ourselves spiritually. To have proper nutrition inside our soul from the Word of God. Mary states in her song of praise that she recognizes. She recognizes that God's mighty arm has done tremendous things. And she, she, she also says numerous things about God, calling out His qualities. Here's something to remember. God's qualities and His miracles and His voice hadn't been heard for 400 years. Before the, Gabriel, the, the angel Gabriel had come and spoken to Zechariah, just within the last week or two, there hadn't been a prophetic word from God for 400 years. There hadn't been a prophet speaking for God for 400 years. There hadn't been a miracle done for 400 years. It's not as if Mary can see God and hear His word and see the prophets right there. How is she to know what God is like? There hasn't been a word for 400 years because Mary is deeply entrenched in the word of God. Because she studies. Because she takes it in. How does she know that He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones and has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble? How does she know that? She knows that because of a deep commitment to being spiritually fed by the Word of God. 
How do we know who God is? We really want to know who God is. God tells us, and in our world, He's provided translations in almost any language that you speak. Chances are everyone here speaks a language that we can get a Bible for. He provides it to us in audiobook. He provides it to us in text message. He provides it to us in, in, in Facebook posts. Chances are we have a Bible at our fingertips. We all have a phone in our pockets somewhere that has an app that probably has more translations that you know exist. Mary didn't have that type of research near her, but it was still so important for her to connect with God. Many people could read Mary's song of praise in these verses and realize that she had a heart for those who are deprived, those who are despised, and those who are less fortunate. And we can see in her prayer that she continues in Luke chapter 1, verse 53. I want you to see some other points that she makes. We're in Luke 1, verse 53. Mary says this, He, God, has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped His servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. And He made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. How does she know this? She knows it because she is entrenched in God's Word. She knows who God is. And she continues to claim here that she's learned more by studying God's Word. She knows who He is and what connections that He has made in her life. And all of this, there's a main point in Mary's conversation to God through Mary's song, through the song of praise. And there's a deep reaction to the angel Gabriel's announcement that we studied last week. I'm going to pull up a verse from last week. It's Luke chapter 1, verse number 38. After Gabriel had made an announcement to Mary, Mary said this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. See, when Gabriel came and told Mary that she was going to carry the Son of God, Mary said one thing. She said, okay. She said, okay. I'm the Lord's servant, and I will do what pleases God. That's it. Okay. I'm the Lord's servant, and I will do what pleases God. There are many things in your life I'm sure that the Lord has asked you to do to serve Him. I would venture to say that no, none of us have been visited by an angel and said, God needs you to serve, and He is literally going to take over your body for the next nine months. And He's probably going to leave you with some scars. You are going to carry a child for God. And it's something that is going to change your life forever. Now I know that we have missionaries that go into other countries and they will spend their entire lives serving God. Mary gave quite a bit. She said, okay. I'm 13. I've never been pregnant before. I don't know what's going to happen. 
But if that's your will for me, I will do that if that pleases God. Mary had a responsibility that was huge. It was massive. Sometimes God gives us responsibilities that compared to Mary's might look really small, but to God they are so important. Right? God's not going to ask us to serve Him in ways that we can't. But He might ask you to serve He might ask you to serve in a ministry that we look back and we say, you know what, God, that's that's kind of small. You got anything bigger for me? God might say, you know what, this is what I got for you right now, and I really need you here right now. I really need you here right now. And you know what Mary's response was? Okay, I'm God's servant. I will do what pleases God. Sometimes... Just those simple words, responding to God, saying, okay, I am God's servant. I will do what pleases God. Sometimes that's the answer. Sometimes that's the answer that God's looking for. But it would be fair to say at all times that's the answer that God is looking for. Final point in your notes this morning is this. As true Christ followers... All we do is to glorify God and not self. All we do is to glorify God and not self. Mary could have said, look at me, I'm the mother of Jesus. She could have gone around to all of the other towns and said, look at me, I'm the one who God called. Look at me, I am above and blessed over all other women. Look at me, I am... (laughs) I'm carrying the Savior. She could have said, look, you're all going to praise me. I'm here for my glory. Look at me. Mary did none of this. What Mary said was, don't look at me. Look past me and recognize God. She said, look past me and rejoice in the Lord. Look past me and notice the Creator. Look past me, because I'm not worthy. I do nothing out of selfishness, but only to the glory of the Father. Everything I do is to glorify God. She says, look past me, because it's not about me, but rather, it's all about Jesus. That's been a theme of ours all year. It's been a theme that we're going to continue There's nothing that we do that is about us. There's everything that we do that is about Jesus. See, when Jesus was born into our world, His presence was a gift to you and to me. He brought you a gift of joy. A gift of joy to come into any room in your life. He brought you a gift of humility. He brought you this gift that reminds you and reminds us to glorify God in all that we do, that it's not about us. That our name is on top of nothing, but Jesus' name is on top of everything. Amen? 
This morning I'll ask you if you recognize these gifts of Jesus. If you can recognize the gifts that God has given to you. Maybe it's a gift that you haven't recognized yet that Jesus has for you. Maybe it's the joy. Maybe it's the joy that belongs in a certain area of your life that there's no joy there right now. Because we haven't let God in to that area. That we shut that door and we keep Him out. See, when we keep God out, we keep His blessings out. The gifts that He brings to us are gifts that He brings. And he says, I just want you to accept these. I want to help. I want to be here. I want to be part of your life. But I need you to let me in. Does he have all the keys to all the rooms in your life? Are we still holding back areas in this world that are keeping that are keeping us from worshiping him fully? Because I'll tell you, even that area right now that is so private that we haven't let God into, that area that is so dark that we're struggling to control on our own is an area that months from now, weeks from now, it could be hours from now, when you let God in, when you let Jesus in there, He'll bring joy and light into that area of your life. There's no area that He can't bring light to. I wonder if there's things that are still that we're still sticking to that, that bring glory to ourselves rather than bring glory to God and bringing recognition to Jesus for what He's done for us. There's a place for all of us and He has gifts for all of us and He has service for all of us. And He has a mission for all of us. Sometimes all He's waiting for us to do is say, okay, I am God's servant and I will do what pleases God. Let's pray.